Good day, everyone. Thanks for joining us for a new and inspiring episode of the Passive Income Attorney Podcast. Before we jump into the interview, I want to invite you to go to escapethebillable.com and snag our free passive investing guide. It's absolutely free and has some incredible insider content that I know you'll find useful. So, have you ever wondered what actually happens after you close on a real estate deal? It seems like all the work is up front by finding and buying the property, right? Well, most people will lead you to believe that once the property is closed, the book is closed, and you'll magically just get checks in the mail. But closing is not the whole story. It's just the beginning. Whether you buy a single-family rental or an Airbnb vacation rental or share in a crowdfunding platform or a REIT or invest in a syndication, there is someone somewhere that must execute the business plan post-closing to make the project successful and therefore deliver returns to you, the owner or investor. This means someone either has to manage the property or manage the property manager. Someone must complete construction of any capital improvements or renovation. Someone must lease the property to tenants. Someone must hire and fire, evict non-paying tenants, keep accounting records, draft and negotiate contracts and leases, and so on and so forth. Without going into too many intricacies, I'll just generally say for now that many of these tasks, but not all, can be handled by a property manager. So finding a great one is of utmost importance. It's a relationship of which its importance just can't be stressed enough. Today, our guest of honor is one of the great ones, Colin Douthit. Colin is a rock star property manager based in one of my favorite markets, Kansas City, Missouri. He's the owner of Atlas Property Management, which manages over 600 doors and growing by the second. He's also an experienced real estate investor and general contractor. All right, let's get into it. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra-wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley. Colin, what's going on, brother? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Seth. Glad to be here. Yeah, excited to have you on, man. Well, let's just jump right in, brother. What, what's your story? Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about your story and feel free to brag a little bit. Yeah, what's my story? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Kansas City, um, played a lot of football as a kid, uh, went to college, played college football, got a couple undergrad engineering degrees, went on, got my master's uh, engineering management, got a PE, was sold on the corporate world, right? Engineer, project <laughs> manager, construction, you know, living, living the quote dream, a uh, high income professional and right. um, very dissatisfied uh, with my life. And yeah, so that was kind of how I got started. Uh, about six, seven years into my professional life, started reading some books about real estate investing, you know, did the gateway drug of rich dad, poor dad, which I'm pretty sure all yep. real estate investors do. <laughs> I'm really, yeah, man, it's, it's bad. That's a, that's a, great paradigm <laughs> shift but it then you like look at your life and you're like what am i doing i am right 
employee and I know where I am in the cash flow quadrant and this is not where I want right. to be. And then job security <laughs> is not a thing. So I uh, started researching real estate uh, for about a year, pulled the trigger on my first investment was a seven unit uh, property, a uh, multifamily building was under contract on that, uh, got let go because this whole, I'm a better uh, entrepreneur than I am employee thing started to really bite me. Uh, they decided <laughs> they didn't want me there anymore. I was kind of having the same feelings. I can relate and, to yeah, that. just <laughs> kind of set my course into real estate after that. So You're cool, man. Did I count that right? Did I count four engineering degrees or three engineering degrees? Three, three, okay. and a, three and a professional <laughs> engineering license. Yeah. So I am a, a moderately overqualified property manager. Nice. I love mm -hmm. it, man. Same here, man. I went to law school, med school, yes. MBA, all the, all uh -huh. the above. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love having a string of, uh, of degrees and stuff that I can put together and be like, well, these are pieces of paper now. Right, right. Yeah. At the time, it's like, okay, I want, I want to make sure I get these pieces of paper. But, you know, now it's like, you know, when I have kids, I don't even know if I'm going to encourage them to go to college. It's going to be like, you guys can do what you want to do. If you're entrepreneurial, yeah. you don't even need a degree. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the same boat. I've got, uh, I've got two kids now and I'm like, I'm not saving for your college. Like grandparents <laughs> are like funding the, the college. I'm like, that's, that's great. Yeah. Like you guys do that. But you know, just with my personality and, and you know, my desire to not be stuck at a desk all day, I really was yep. really, you know, I enjoyed being active. It was like, I think I would have done a whole lot better if I'd gone to a trade school and worked with my hands. Right, right. You know, if I would, you know, welding school, I don't know what it is, fill in the blank there, but some sort of trade school. So I think that's an opportunity that uh, we have a lot of kids that are, are missing the boat on where they should be. A lot of kids yep. going into student loan debt um, mm -hmm. that they still owe on as of this date. And, uh, you know, that, that don't have a degree that's worth anything. They're not in their right. field. Yeah. And I mean, there's zero financial education for kids. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I mean, let yeah. alone just getting into, you know, debt and all that other kind of stuff. But I mean, there's just zero financial education. I mean, rich dad, poor dad should be required reading probably when you're in middle school. <laughs> yeah, I, there's a for kids version. And so my my oldest, my boy, he's four and a half. And I'm like, is that too early for him to start reading <laughs> the rich dad, poor dad for, for teens? Maybe yeah. get him started early. Yeah. <laughs> No, but you know, my, my parents are both professionals. My dad, uh, like yourself, is an, was an attorney and they're like, well, just go to engineering school and, you know, get a high paying job and put in your, yep. I don't know, however many years and fund your 401k and then retire. And yep. just, so I was driving myself to work every day. I was like, there's gotta be something more. And I got stuck in one office that had no windows. There was three of us in an office, probably about <laughs> the size of mine right now with no windows and no windows in the hallway. And it was just like yeah. staring at just, just brick wall. Like, there's gotta be more than this. <laughs> yeah. Same boat, man. I grew up just in a blue collar family and it was just like, you know, my dad was a coal miner. My mom was a teacher and it was just like, okay, we'll get the best paying job mm -hmm. you can possibly get. And to me, that was being a doctor. And I, I hated that. So I was like, all right, be a lawyer. <laughs> and, just, <laughs> and then I finally snapped out of it and figured it out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I mean, I took a major pay cut for the first uh, while, you know, right. Until sure. within this recent time frame that, you know, it took a, a huge pay cut yep. uh, and, you know, going from a professional engineer, a high paying job to owning a seven unit apartment building. And that was your right. income. It was, it's a, it's a big shift. Um, but, yeah. you know, I learned a lot over that time frame. Yeah. Big mental shift from getting that check every two weeks to, you know, trying to figure out where, <laughs> where you're going to buy the next property and if the tenants are going to pay and, you know, mm -hmm. how you're going to build and grow this business. 
Now, do you think your engineering degrees helped you along the way though? Probably to an extent, you know, some basic understanding of construction. Uh, while I didn't have any home construction experience before I started in real estate, uh, you know, I did have some basic knowledge of construction foundations sure. because I was civil and an architectural engineer. So, uh, you know, some of the way buildings are put together, I just had a base knowledge there, which helped. I think also of the analytical mindset of an engineer to be able to put numbers down on paper and build out pro formas that that really helped me out um, with understanding ROI, NOI, all that sort of stuff. Cool. Cool. Now, how did that, that transition out of your W2 wor work? Was it abrupt all of a sudden? Was it? Oh you know, yeah. I got fired. Work? Oh, you got fired. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. They let me go. Um, my boss and I were always butting heads. Cause I was like, I think we should really be focusing on some more customer service here. We're really just focused on the bottom line and not taking care of our customers. You know, my, my example was, you know, we were working on doing a Walmart, right? We were a subcontractor building a Walmart. And you don't mess with Walmart when you're yeah. building Walmarts, right? Like that's just, right. that's not what they do. They, <laughs> they have the sledgehammer. And I was like, this product we put out, it looks like crap. We should probably uh, pull it down and re redo it because this looks bad. And yeah. we were just always buddy heads like, no, that's going to cost too much money. Let's try to patch it in with some really bad fix. It's going to take a long time and it'll cost a third of the cost of replacing it. I'm like, okay, like he forced <laughs> me to sell it. And I did. And then a week later, like I get ambushed on a, on the job site by, you know, Walmart executives, the architect, the GC, like everybody. And they're like, nope, you have to replace us all. I'm like, yeah. how much better would we have looked if we had just replaced it initially and said we screwed up. And that was really where everything started to go downhill when we lost focus on the customer. Um, you know, and then once I was able to start my own company, you know, after I invested for a couple of years, I started the property management company. I was like, we're going to make sure we take care of the customers, right? And if we screw up, we're going to admit that we screwed up and not yep. make that mistake again. Gotcha. Now, how did that so, come about the, the property management company after you started buying some real estate? I mean, how did that come to fruition? Yeah. So, you know, I started building my portfolio and I started partnering with some people. And so we got up to about 60 doors under management. Uh, and I was the manager, right? Cause they all had their W2 jobs still. So I was doing the management. I was coordinating maintenance. I was showing, I was doing some of the maintenance, you know, I was, I was involved. And I said, well, this would be really great if we could do enough third-party property management that I could hire a full-time property manager that could just manage my property. So I don't have to deal with that anymore. And I started looking at the numbers on it. I actually looked at acquiring a property management company and that fell through. I started, you know, seeing how the companies worked and everything. And I was like, well, maybe I should just build this into a legitimate property management company. And so, you know, took my properties, handed them over to our property management company, and then um, started growing the portfolio business after that. Gotcha. Yeah. It sounds like it was just kind of a, a natural progression after you started acquiring properties to be yeah, like, okay, it, well, I'll it just felt it, like, it felt like that. And part of it was like, Hey, let's, let's get some more funds, get some more jingle in the pocket so we can go right. invest in real estate. And if I don't want to go back to a W2 job to build that, what's yep. another way I can do that and stay in the industry. And so it's like, well, let's, yep. let's focus on property management and construction. Cool. Now, what kinds of property and clients do you take on at the moment? So, you know, currently we have a broad base of customers that we take on. Um, I don't want to say that we say no to a lot of people. We'll say no to certain parts of town or certain types of properties where we don't want to be uh, in that. Uh, you know, I live in a, a small town outside of Kansas City, so kind of a more rural area. So we invest out there. 
just because that was my backyard. Uh, but our office is in Kansas City area in the metro. So, you know, we manage in both of those kind of those areas because there's opportunities in both areas. We work with investors that want to buy more of a, you know, high B turnkey property. And we also work with investors that want to, you know, bring in a property that needs a lot of value add where we're doing a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of rehab to it, repositioning the property. So. Gotcha. Um, do you only work in the multifamily space or do you do other types of commercial properties? Um, you know, we'll do some mixed use and then we've got, uh, you know, a handful of single families as well. Um, right now we've just seen a, a lot of growth in the multifamily space through our, through our network. So that's sure. where our growth has been. Uh, but we do bring on smaller stuff. You know, we've got a triplex coming on, we've got a duplex coming on mm -hmm. single families, you know, one or two of those a month. Uh, so. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. How many doors are you servicing right now? Uh, currently about 600. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, a little over 600. <laughs> uh, and our pipeline for the next 90 days is showing that we're probably going to crack a thousand by the next within the next 90 days. Nice, nice. What's uh, you know, what's enabled you to to scale so quickly? Mm, uh, <laughs> some good referrals uh, early on <laughs> to help to help build that base, and then sure. performing uh, well afterwards. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of good referrals. I've had some really good success networking with uh, investors, with syndicators, et cetera. That's uh, been very beneficial. We've performed on the property management side, whether it is more of a turnkey or it's a, a reposition, we've been able to get in there. And on the repositions where there's a bad tenant base, we've had to, you know, fight it out, slug through the mud to get the <laughs> bad tenants out and just change the culture on those properties. Uh, yep. Additionally, uh, there's Atlas Property Management. And then there's Atlas Construction. Uh, okay. Me and my partner, uh, we co-own uh, both of them at this point. And so having construction in-house has really been a big uh, value add as well, since it's all under one roof. Um, you know, it's one single point of contact. There's kind of two people that you'll be dealing with. Uh, I'm on the property management side. He handles more of the construction side. But okay. we, uh, you know, we work together. And so, you know, try to streamline everything and uh, communication flows easily within the office. That's cool. That's interesting. You have both, uh, both companies under the same, the same roof. I mean, it makes sense, but you don't see that that often. Correct. Yeah, you, you don't. And, you know, we, you know, we're forming this company uh, and, you know, our goal was to service out of state investors wanting mm -hmm. to invest in our market and make it easier for them because I knew the struggles of being an investor locally when I didn't have my own construction crews, you know, trying yeah. to find somebody that I could rely on bit me more than once. And yeah you know, managing my own properties. You know, I know what it is, the headaches of managing a property. I know what the headaches are of doing construction. It's like, well, how can we make this a better experience for out-of-state investors who are investing a significant chunk of money and they can't even see the property every day or they can't drive there within an hour? Yeah, yeah, so. for sure. I mean, I can definitely relate to that. All my investments are out-of-state and trying yeah. to, you know, find trustworthy property managers and contractors, uh, and trying to manage those folks from out of state is very difficult to do. So if you can find someone like yourself that does both and, you know, you, you're obviously a professional and, and do the things the right way. I mean, it, that's really what you're looking for when you're looking for out of state investments. Yeah. And we, and we try to do that. We try to take care of my partner, Adam. Um, you know, he's a professional engineer as well. We went to college together and we both played football together. He's, he's bigger than I am. Uh, we were both offensive linemen and, uh, <laughs> So, you know, we have, uh, you know, we have, he has a construction background as well. So naturally, you know, he was a good fit to just run all of the field operations and I kind of focus on the property management side. And so, you know, we have a, a qualified team to help take care of people. Cool. Cool. Well, let's, let's maybe walk our listeners through a typical scenario where, you know, a real estate client comes to you 
and wants to engage with your services, uh, at what point mm -hmm. do, do they engage you? Uh, you know, informally, they can engage me as early on as they want. Uh, mm -hmm. We have a lot of investors reach out and say, hey, I'm starting to look in the Kansas City market. I want to have a team. You know, yep. I got a recommendation for you. I saw you online. I saw you in bigger pockets, wherever it is. And, you know, I would like to start talking to you about property management services. Okay, well, then we start having that discussion with them. What are your goals? What do you want to do? How do you want to grow? What are your plans? Mm -hmm. And, oh, do you need construction as well? Because we can offer that, right? A lot of yep. a lot of people want to value add and forced appreciation comes through constructions and rent increases. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, we start working with people early on and we say, okay, whenever you're looking at a property, bring it to me and let me gotcha. take a look at it for you. Let me check your assumptions on rent amounts. Let's check your assumptions on construction costs and vacancy, et cetera, et cetera, to help give them a, a, an accurate idea of how we think the property is going to perform so that they're going in with good information when they're evaluating it and putting their price together. Gotcha. Sometimes we get brought on and they're like, hey, I had this under contract. I'm closing in two weeks. I had that phone call this morning. Hey, yeah. uh, you know, Colin, I'm closing on the 28th. I've got a duplex under contract. Um, you came as a recommendation. Let's talk. Okay. We had the conversation. Great. Send me over your paperwork and we'll go ahead and get started. So, you know, that's a very, you know, basic conversation. Then some of them are, are much longer terms where we're working together for six plus months to get something across the finish line. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize that the property manager is an integral part of the team. Even before the closing, you don't just engage with the property manager after and be like, okay, we'll take care of my asset. You provide a lot of very valuable services in the acquisition process to evaluate the market, evaluate the deal, the building, you know, what kind of tenants and, you know, rents you can get in the, in the particular building. And it's, yeah. you, you've got to engage early to get the full. Absolutely. Full and we know we like, we like to look through the leases and make sure, you know, the correct amount of prorated rents are being sent over the correct amount of security deposits, because we've had it where owners haven't brought us in, you know, uh, one that six out of the 20 unit complex and they didn't collect the prepaid rent that this one tenant still had five months of prepaid rent, right? Mm -hmm. So $4,000 worth of prepaid rent that they had to go and collect. And then they go back to the owner. And then also they were missing about $2,300 worth of security deposits. And we're like, Hey, this is the deficiency we're seeing as we're building out the tenants and the um, in our system, because at closing, we typically get the prorated rents and the security deposits just sent directly to us. So right. then we have some operating funds to, to go off of for the, the rents, as well as the security deposits going to our trust account. So we have to audit all that money coming in. Gotcha. Yeah. So. Got to do, got to do that lease audit for sure and make sure you're getting everything you should be getting. Absolutely. Absolutely. How about post-closing? What, what does that look, look like? So the deal closes, um, mm -hmm. you know, everybody celebrates. They think the deal's over, but it's not. It's just getting started. Um, you know, we're, we're, yeah. So where do you, where do you help out the investor at that point? Yeah. So, you know, I always tell people, you know, the first 30 to 90 days are going to be bumpy. Like, just, just expect that because, you know, whether it's a duplex or it's 50 to 100 or 100 plus units that we're taking over, there's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be, oh, this is new. We're dealing with new people we've got to pay. So, you know, what we're doing is the day one, we're going to meet with the old property manager, meet with the agent, meet with the uh, old owner, depending on who's got lease paperwork and keys and kind of do a turnover walkthrough with the old whoever that we need to be dealing with. And then also we're posting, you know, welcome letters, welcome packets on everybody's door, knock on the doors, trying to meet them possibly and say, hey, 
here's who we are. This packet has all our contact info. This is how you pay. Uh, please fill out this contact information sheet and send it back to us so that we can know how to get a hold of you. We can put you into our system so you can pay online. So I'm you know, always encouraging people to pay online and communicate through that. So, you know, the first 30, 60, 90 days were getting people onboarded under our system. We're having conversations with the owner about, hey, here's what our plan was before we closed. Let's start executing that, whether it's filling vacant units, rehabbing vacant units, uh, starting construction on large deferred maintenance items, whatever that may be, we start to implement the plan that we put together before mm -hmm. we closed. Gotcha. What, what does the relationship look like between you and let's say the asset manager of the, the sponsorship team? That really depends on how much they want out of the relationship. We have some investors that we don't talk to except every couple months, whenever they have a question. Right. Yep. And they're collecting their rents. They see the monthly income and expense uh, statement as well as the money hits their account. They're happy. They log on to the online portal, check a few people out, check some numbers, maybe look at a few receipts that have been posted online. They don't have any questions. They just, you know, they just go along. No big deal. Uh, other times uh, we have sponsors, owners, uh, whichever that we have weekly standing calls with their assigned property manager. Hey, what's changed from last week? You know, were there any outstanding items that we needed to address? Have they been addressed this week? What's our plan for this coming week? And we have those calls uh, weekly. Uh, we have one owner where we have a heavy reposition. So, you know, we're doing 350 to $400,000 worth of construction. When we took over property, it had 40% vacancy. And so we are, you know, she has a 30 to 45 minute call with the property manager. And then the next day she has the same length call with Adam tracking the construction because we're rehabbing all the downed units and all the common areas, et cetera. Yep. So, you know, those, those relationships really, we can give as much into that as the owner or asset manager wants. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. A lot of folks don't know a lot about the Kansas City market, and you are obviously a Kansas City guy. So tell us a little bit about <laughs> the Kansas City market and what makes it so strong. Uh, it's the best market in the country. No, uh, <laughs> it, it has been a, it's been a very, a very solid market. Um, you know, financially, we are, uh, you know, a growing city. Uh, some companies are moving headquarters here. They're investing a lot of money into the city. Uh, you know, people are saying, hey, it's the Silicon Valley of, of the Midwest, right? There's a lot of tech going into Kansas City right now. Additionally, transportation's huge out here. Uh, we're in the middle of the country. So we have a couple of major interstates that run north, south, and east, west through Kansas City. So you can mm -hmm. start trucking all different directions. Additionally, Kansas City has always been a huge rail town. Uh, so we have a lot of rail traffic, uh, what, what's called intermodal facilities where they take those shipping boxes and they take them off of trains and put them onto semis or they take them off of semis and put them onto trains. Uh, there's manufacturing, there's healthcare, the government services. It's just a very diverse um, you know, economy here. So we don't have any one thing that we're gonna rise or fall with. You know, We do have a couple of uh, auto plants here in town, one for GM, one for Ford. If one of those were to shut down, that would be detrimental, but it wouldn't shoot the whole economy in the foot for the city. Right. Which is, which is really nice. So we've just seen a lot of growth um, here. Uh, and, you know, people are wanting to move to maybe some smaller cities, maybe get away from the coast or some of that stuff that's going on. I mean, we're not a small city, but compared to Los Angeles, Chicago, Atlanta, New York, fill in the blank, we, we are significantly smaller. 
Yeah, I mean, the metrics are all there, the population growth and the job diversity, um, you know, a, a very good economy that's going there. And like you mentioned, the transportation thing, if you just look at Kansas City on a map and look north, south, east, west, there are major cities that if, if you go from one to the other, you have to pass through Kansas City. So to me, you know, it's not going anywhere. It can't go anywhere because you have no. to go through Kansas City to get everywhere in that area. Yeah, and we have two rivers. The Kansas uh, Kansas River merges into the Missouri River right here in Kansas City. Missouri River runs right in Mississippi, so we have barge traffic as well coming up and out. So it's it's a really interesting location, uh, and it always has been a transportation hub. Uh, I grew up on the Kansas side of the state line, and every time you're growing up, man, everything big over there is is Oregon Trail stuff because <laughs> everybody's always been passing through Kansas City. Yeah. Well, now that you mentioned that, let's talk about Kansas City, Kansas versus Kansas City, Missouri. What's what's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> Population and size. So yeah, everybody's okay. like, oh, well, ask anybody, yes, I'm from Kansas City. And then, okay, well, I'm from Kansas City. Where are you from in Kansas City? And then you can really yeah. drill down in the city. But for most right. people that aren't familiar with it, yes, I'm from Kansas City. Great. They know where Kansas City is relatively on a map. Uh, yeah. The state line <laughs> does split the county, uh, does split the city. Uh, a majority of the city is going to be on the Missouri side as far as the downtown area is all Kansas City, Missouri. Most of the, you know, shopping and stuff's on the Missouri side. Um, then Kansas City, Kansas has its own, you know, little smaller downtown area. Um, just two different sides, two different animals, two different state lines, which makes, you know, okay, which side of the state line am I on for legality, for property management in terms of, mm -hmm days for notifications, eviction proceedings, et cetera, uh, security deposit law, all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Kansas City, Missouri is more downtown, more urban. Um, Kansas City, Kansas is also urban and can be a little bit rougher in certain areas. Um, the Kansas side south uh, on the south side of, is actually a very affluent area. Uh, so most people that are affluent that live in the Kansas City metro, they actually live on the Kansas side down in Johnson County, Kansas. Gotcha. And you operate in, in both, right? Yeah, we operate on both sides of the state line. Uh, we kind of hit about an hour radius within Kansas City. Um, and what people don't understand sometimes too is since our population density is a little bit lower, we have uh, at one point we had the most highway miles per capita of any city in the country. So um, us driving around, we're able to cover a lot of ground really quickly. So we can get an hour, we're going to travel 60 miles an hour. Like that's <laughs> you know, very, very common once we get on the interstates. I was, when I live, you know, I still live in that small town, but when I was commuting to the city to work, I was traveling 37 miles in 45 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Definitely can't do that here in uh, Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's a, uh, it's always a paradigm shift for people that are from those areas um, that like, wow, it takes, oh, wow, that's a long ways. I'm like, well, it's, it's, it's long miles, but time-wise it's not that far. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, when I visited, man, it was it was incredible to see. I didn't know what to expect from Kansas City. I, you know, I grew up around Pittsburgh, so I thought I was going to look like Pittsburgh or like Cleveland. I've invested in Cleveland before and I kind of expected to look like one of those Rust Belt cities, but it definitely does not. It's a it's a much more beautiful city. No offense to <laughs> Pittsburgh and Cleveland because Pittsburgh, you know, that's where I'm from. I love it. But you know, Kansas City is just, it's got kind of that, uh, you know, it's got that vibe that it's just, it's growing compared to those cities. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's stagnant or even declining still. Yeah, absolutely. And since our economy is not built on some of those other things that are either suffering right now or that are not as boom and bust as, you know, say the movie industry or, um, you know, technology, 
or the financial sector, we, we've, we, uh, we have a lot more stability out here, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's switch gears in, again. I mean, so when you jumped into investing to begin with, you, you bought it, do you say a seven unit to, to start out mm-hmm. with? So, you know, how yeah. did you get involved with, you know, jumping straight into kind of a commercial property rather than a single family asset? A lot of people just jump into flipping or wholesaling or, you know, buying a single family rental. Yeah. So I'd been looking for a while. I kind of had been thinking that I wanted to buy something multifamily, uh, just A for financing and B for a little bit of scale pretty quickly. So uh, it's, it's a you know, very simple story, honestly. Um, I do live in this small town. So again, I'm outside of Kansas City, about a town of about five to 6,000 people. And I'm driving down the main drag one day and there's an apartment building on the main drag and it says for sale by owner. <laughs> cool. To call up the owner. I meet him out there. He's, you know, kind of a good old boy. Uh, he, you know, I get out of him. He owns the property free and clear because he's owned it for like 20 some odd years. Sure. And uh, so I'm like, cool. How about owner financing? And uh, I get him to owner finance it. And nice. that's kind of how that, that happened. So it really, um, you know, driving for dollars, I guess, right? If I were to use a buzzword, yep. but really I was just yep. driving home. <laughs> <laughs> just driving home and you're having to find some dollars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, oh yeah, man, I like that building. I, I should make a call. Let's see. Let's just see what it's worth. And I was like, oh, that's a really good price. So yeah, that's awesome, man. Not Sometimes yeah. luck luck goes a long way. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. So I was, uh, I was thankful for the opportunity. Cool. So a lot of our listeners invest in traditional assets rather than real estate or alternative assets. Do you invest in, you know, stocks and bonds and mutual funds and that sort of thing as well, or anything else, or are you really involved in real estate right now? And that's it. Uh, I do have an IRA and some 401ks and stuff like that. Um, as you can imagine with a, uh, a quick cutoff on your um, income when you don't have your W-2 anymore, <laughs> Uh, collecting and, and, you know, investing money seems like the least of your priorities at that point. So I did, I did pause on that. Uh, I do still have some money um, in traditional investments, some in just regular investment accounts, some in, you know, other retirement accounts. Uh, I'm really focused on, on the real estate right now. And uh, I will probably diversify a little bit more, uh, but at this point um, I really like real estate for the long term. Yeah, for sure, man. All right, well, let's jump into the Freedom Four. It's time for the Freedom Four. What's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy? I try to exercise. Yeah. You know, um, if I can be outside, preferably. Uh, you know, I live, I live in the country, so walk through the pasture, go for a walk uh, near this lake that's near our house, just out in the country, get some fresh air, get some exercise. Yeah. Well, you're a fit guy, man. Did you lose a ton of weight since you played uh, offensive line in college? Yeah, I'm about 40 to 45 pounds less than when I was in college. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool, man. So in an alternative universe where you weren't involved in real estate, what else would you be doing? Oof. Uh, as I've continued to um, read entrepreneurship business books, I'd definitely be building some sort of business, uh, mm-hmm. probably some service industry business, some, you know, some recurring revenue business. Gotcha. That entrepreneurship bug just runs right through you, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wouldn't nice, go back to W2, nice. uh, you know, but I would, uh, I would try to start another, another business in a different industry. Cool. Cool. Where were you at five years ago and where do you see yourself in your business five years from now? Five years ago, I was still living in the same house and I was working for a, uh, commercial, um, road and bridge contractor that did site development and, uh, probably just starting to think about real estate. 
And the second part was, where am I going to be five years from now? Yeah. Uh, continuing to co-own uh, growing property management and construction companies and hopefully have uh, acquired more of my own assets, uh, you know, maybe trying to um, double the number of assets that I currently own. Awesome. Awesome. How has passive income made your life better? Oof. Um, it's added a baseline stability to my life that um, a W-2 job didn't always have because, yep. you know, you can get fired in one day at a W-2 job. Uh, so just having some baseline uh, stability there is nice, even though it's not um, all that we need at this point. Um, you know, still have to run the business, but the, some some baseline of stability, knowing I've got that that safety net's really great. Love that, man. Love it. All right, Colin, really appreciate you coming on today, man. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Oh, yeah, you can check me out on LinkedIn. Uh, just Colin Douthit. Look me up there. Uh, Atlas Property Management as well. Our website's www.atlas.rentals. Cool. And we'll link to all that in the show notes, brother. All right, man. Appreciate you coming on today. Thanks for having me, Seth. Enjoyed it. Oh, man, Colin brought it. You can really hear the sincerity in his voice. He's such a great guy. He's incredibly knowledgeable, of course, you know, starting with his engineering background and now moving into general construction and property management. He's an absolute rock star and an awesome human being as well. I hope that the takeaway from the episode is that the story doesn't end when the deal is closed. You need a really good property manager, whether that's you, yourself, or someone like Colin in your corner to help execute the business plan to make the property reach its highest potential, which equals cash flow and value appreciation. If you want to get more information on investing in alternative assets, get over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com, join the Esquire Investor Club, and download the Freedom Blueprint, our free guide to passive investing. Okay, got to run, y'all. Enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.